0: What's up, Bycomer fans? My guest today is Dmitry Nechai, the founder of Triton Bikes, which up until very recently was based in Russia and making gorgeous custom titanium bicycles. Everything changed for him when Russia invaded Ukraine and his story about how he and his family got out and how he eventually relocated the business, his employees and equipment to Portugal is wild. From sneaking parts out to having friends and coworkers ride for days to cross by bicycle at remote border stations, he has some stories to tell. We talk about why he's living in Israel, but relaunching in Portugal, and toward the end, we talk about how they're rebuilding the brand and getting ready to build their very first bikes in their new factory. It's a long one, but stay tuned at the end for a recap of a few other things we discussed after I stopped recording. And now, please welcome Dmitry Nijak. Hey, Dimitri, welcome to the Bike Roomer Show.
1: Hi, thanks for having me here.
0: Yeah, man, now I'm excited. You and I had the good fortune to meet up in Portugal just a few weeks ago when yeah. I was at the the SRAM launch and had quite a chat. And oh, yeah. uh really wanted to recreate that here if we could, because the, the stories that you had to share about how you and your family and your your team have kind of really escaped from Russia at the start of the, or even just before the start of the Ukraine invasion, like I didn't even prepare questions for this just because your stories are so amazing. I figured we would just sort of maybe start at the start, right? And so we're recording this in March of 2023. Russia invaded Ukraine on February 24th. Just a little over a year.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just a little over a year. So where does your story start? We uh, last time when we met in Portugal, we had beers in front of us. Not at this moment, unfortunately. So <laughs> I just hope it goes as smoothly as it did. <laughs> so yeah, it all started. Uh, well, the bad situation started on, on as you said, on February twenty fourth, two thousand twenty two. So a little bit over a year ago. As someone who knows many people and uh, has many contacts and lots of customers. I knew something was going to happen. So I was working uh, with my family on obtaining an Israeli citizenship as I, as I have the right to do so. And we did that in 2021. Uh, looking forward to um, moving to Israel and getting ready slowly when the war happened, when it started. That morning was a total disaster for me. I was like, One month before it it happened, it started, I was feeling super sick every day, not being able to work normally. And also we had like there was almost no inquiries or orders from outside of Russia because there were news all the time about the Russian troops at the uh, near the uh, Ukrainian border and everything. So that was already pretty stressful times for myself and for the business.
0: So do you think that was what was making you feel ill? It's just the stress of that, you know, no new business coming in, everything that's going on in the country.
1: Yeah, it's um it's expecting something that you don't know that's not that's going to happen and seeing bad news about your country uh, from your country officials saying complete bullshit and uh like uh, you know starting up something that I don't Feel as a part of, and of course the West also responding to that, and and like it's a, it's like a huge snowball beginning to grow, and with all the um, new stupid laws and less and less freedoms, I could feel that something bad is going to happen, and you just keep doom scrolling, You're checking your the leftovers of independent media, political news, and you read all that and you understand that something bad is going to happen. And when it happened, it was in the, I like, I woke up at five in the morning on 24th. And first thing I opened my iPhone and I checked the news. And the news are that Russia has just attacked Ukraine. And not only the areas that were, uh, you know, there was a problem over certain. Regions of Ukraine that Russia was claiming as a, as a, as regions where native Russians would live. And, but the attacks happened all over the country, covering the whole country from, from east to west to like a few miles from the Polish borders or Romanian or uh, Hungarian, sorry, sorry, borders. And that shocked me and it felt super sick. I was literally feeling physically bad like almost growing up and uh, because you, you feel like you cannot do anything. And these guys, they're total nuts and they've been in power for over two decades and uh, with no elections. And, and it, it was happening smoothly so that you don't really see that actual thing happening when you do your business, you do your work, you do your course, you know, you don't notice how slowly they take their freedoms. So, uh, yeah.
0: yeah, it doesn't happen
1: overnight. Yeah, for exactly. Sure. It took over 10 years in total to my feelings. And, uh, if we, like if myself and people like me would start, you know, protesting against that 10 years ago in an in efficient way that would possibly change something as of now, totally impossible. The, the, uh, the system uh, is designed to, to destroy a person that goes against the uh, the government. So, yeah, and I'm still a little bit scared saying all that, you know, although I'm, I'm, I'm right now in Israel, and I'm traveling between Israel and Portugal, I still feel not safe saying things like that. So, you know, I hope it's still safe.
0: Me too. Because you got a lot of, you know, you have your family there in Israel, and you have a lot of employees and their families who have all, you know, I think mostly, we're not going to mention anybody's names in this podcast, but, you know, most of them have managed to get out. You have a few that are still working on getting some of their family members out. But i got a a million questions. So talk to me about that morning, right? You wake up, like, what's the plan? How do you, what do you tell your wife? And you have children, right?
1: Yeah, I have uh, two sons, eight and 10 years old. And um, so I was talking to my wife Three weeks before that, I told her that we would have to move out quickly, most likely in a few weeks, and she took it as a shock because you know she would need to do many things. You know, you have to finish many things, sell things like uh, that. Own that we own that that could uh, provide some money to the company and to to us, and uh, she, she wasn't ready, and I told her it doesn't matter, we'll, we will have to move out anyway. So when that happened, I didn't expect it to be that bad. I realized I will have to move out as soon as possible, it, especially myself as a man, because men uh, have to go to army in Russia or they have they have to serve at the army. So when something, when a military conflict happens, they mobilize, they do the mobilization or inscription, whatever it, it is called. And uh, the men are first to go to fight. And it's, you, you cannot act against it unless you just leave or hide. This is what many of my friends are doing now. It's crazy. And um, That is crazy. Yeah. So 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 when so when it all happened, uh, of course, I called her and said, Okay, we're gonna do something really quickly. I called my friends, I called the um, our colleagues who are making bike parts in, in, in Russia. I called some of the European partners and we discussed the what we would, could possibly do and then I spoke to uh so that was a stressful kind of one or two days and I spoke to a friend of mine who, who, who from Israel who went straight to the uh, border to Poland on the border with uh, Ukraine and he was helping the uh Israeli Ukrainian families get out of the um Get out of, of Ukraine as they were all evacuating, we as there were missiles, tanks coming into the towns. It was crazy. So he was. He just called me and said, hey, if you want to be free, I'm helping families right now. And the men are pushing through their families, the kids, the wives, the mothers, and the men are staying inside the country because they, they have to protect the country. And also there is war. So they have to stay in the country. They're not allowed outside. Even if they have three Israeli passports, they cannot get out. So these people are at least protecting their own country. If you want to be free and not be a part of this story, I suggest you to get out as soon as possible. And he sounded really, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> it was enough. Like I could hear people around him and uh, that was enough for me to, uh, to get a... Uh, you know, Get a business, move on. <laughs> yeah, business class flight to Tel Aviv with my miles that I had, and uh, with the f- help of friends, and I just like basically on the third day, I just uh, jumped into my uh, into the uh, plane, went to from Sochi where our where Triton was uh, located to Moscow, met my family, kissed them goodbye. They gave me some summer clothing, and I just <laughs> yeah, in a few hours, I just. Jumped into into the uh, Boeing and just it just took me to Israel
0: and uh, and you were there was really hard to get out. I mean, not just for the obvious reasons, but even every seat on every flight was getting filled up. And
1: I got the business class flight, not because I'm 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 a rich guy. I'm not. <laughs> it was the last thing available. It was literally the last spot, the last place on on that exact plane. And I was leaving on the twenty seventh. In the in late evening, and it, uh, there were rumors that, not bike rumors, but rumors <laughs> that, that they're going to stop letting the men out of the country on the 28th. You know, rumors. They never, it never happened. Well, it happened that later. A few, a few months later, it actually happened. But they said that they might not let the people of my age, the men of my age, out of the country. So I decided not to take my chances and just, you know, get out. How old are you? At that time, I was 37, so I'm 38 now. At some point uh, last September, they wouldn't let out many men aged from 18 till like 55 or 52, something. So you, you, you just couldn't get out. And some, most people who wanted, they still got out through other borders, but they would spend crazy amounts of money. And the same with my family, as I needed to get out to be safe, the, my friend, was a volunteer. He said, we'll take care of your family. Just, it's just you who needs to get out. And, uh, then when I was safe in Tel Aviv, I made a little statement on our Instagram and Facebook saying that, Hey, we don't support this stupid situation. We don't support the war. And it's just not our thing. And, uh, I, I believed at that point that most people in Russia do not support this. And, uh, I still believe so, but it, it's a lot, it's a different uh, percentage right now, uh, looking at it, unfortunately. Hey, by the way, the, the, the international flights were for the Russian companies were canceled, like they were all canceled.
0: For the Russian airlines? You mean? Yeah,
1: yeah. So I, I went out with Aeroflot, uh, which is a Russian airlines, and uh, the, and in a few days, they were gone. So all the tickets, all, they were all canceled, if, including the tickets that I, the five tickets that I got for my family.
0: Oh, jeez! And is that because countries wouldn't accept Russian airlines?
1: It was a, I don't remember the exact uh, timing, but it's, uh, many, many jets that are used by the Russian airlines are being leased by international, com- like through international companies. So international companies would cancel their leasing agreements. That means those jets, if they cross the borders into Europe, they would get arrested in that those countries. So they would not be able to get them back into Russia. That kind of paralyzed the international well, the ability for the Russians to get to get out. So my family had to go with the Israeli airlines, and that cost us ten thousand dollars, something like that.
0: Yeah, before we talk about how your family got out and how some of your other friends got, out, I'm curious why Israel. What was because you, you've set up shop for Triton Bikes in Portugal. So I'm curious, like why? What's the is connection with Israel, and then why Portugal for the bike companies? But let's start with Israel first.
1: Yeah, so uh, my 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 granddad used to live in uh, in a Jewish settlement in 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 Ukraine. Well, that was Russian Empire back then, but it's where Ukraine right now is. And um, so I had the right to obtain an Israeli citizenship as partially Jewish origin. So that's, that's a lot of added safety to my Russian passport that doesn't take me anywhere without a visa. And uh, I just had the right to do it. And I did it in 2021. But uh, Israel is more like a high-tech IT country that makes a lot of cool stuff for me- medical uh, and, uh, and safety devices, things like that, you know and start IT startups of all kinds. But it's while I work here, I have a little like I have a little moving business here with my van, which is the easiest thing I could just start up here. It's impossible to run uh, bicycle production here. Well, at least the type, the, the type that I that, that, that I that I used to run, I would not be able to uh, bring my employees to this country. Unfortunately, it would be tremendously expensive. Like I would be able, but that will last like for a couple of days, and we'll be we'll be out of money in no time. Right. Also, thing- yeah, yeah, sorry.
0: Well, I think one of the stories you shared with us when we met was that just how much the Israeli people in you, oh, you know, yeah. the Jews took care of your family. And, and it's just that community network there because, you know, obviously Israel's in the news for yeah. other things, not always positive. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but the, the stories that you shared was more the community there was just oh, incredible. Yeah. And I think that's such an important part of, you know, what we all need more of right now.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So thanks for reminding me. And I don't forget such things. I just uh, now I know what now I understand what you're asking about. So when we uh, when we actually arrived to the country, when the whole war started, uh, we arrived like with just with like the bags with some clothing from a cold country to a country that is not cold at all, and we were rushing together to find an apartment to rent to have all the whole family here. And we ended up in an empty apartment. And uh, I just, you know, and the friends of mine, the local customers that I had here, or or, like Instagram fans, the subscribers to my Instagram, who just knew I was here, they asked me, I didn't ask them, they asked me, what do you need? Like, what do you need right now to set up your life here? And I said, come on, it's, I was shy to say things, and they said, no, 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 prepare a list of the things that you need, and we'll work on it. So when I went through my shyness, and I actually made a list because I knew I didn't have the money to buy all that stuff, I had my, my friends and customers that would basically, you know, send messages to the people in their community and the local community and saying, hey, we have people from Russia coming, you know, escaping this whole situation. and..." Uh, they need that, they need towels, they need cutlery, you know, kitchenware and all that stuff. And soon, and, and after they came from, from a little vacation, their garden was full of the bags with clothing, with kitchenware, with the, like, with, with, I had a small car back then that I bought for $500. I had to make two or three trips I was feeling that car completely, even the front seat on the right, the passenger seat, up to the roof with the stuff they gave us. So we had our apartment set up with everything we needed in a few days. Not a single dollar or shekel spent. It was crazy. My my wife was literally crying because when she saw that huge amount of help that we received and we... um, when we had more than we needed, we passed it to the next families. And that's the tradition here. And this is this was really cool. This was really supportive. And that's where I felt like at home because I have never <laughs> received such help, never.
0: I appreciate you sharing that story because I think just hearing of human kindness nowadays is, is such an important thing to remember that, you know, there oh, yeah. it's still out there in droves, right? Like we, we've helped through a, a group here in, where we live, you know, there's like 50 Afghan families that came here, right? So hundreds of people. And it's it's the same thing, right? So you have a a community here, a group that just kind of helps them find homes and get the things they need. And yeah, there's resources out there.
1: Their situation is crazy. I I, I know about Afghanistan. I have, I've been talking to people trying to help. It's it's crazy. And it's, you know, the other stupid thing. I had a friend, whom I was kind of helping a little bit. I, I was trying, you know, trying, finding connections in Europe to help him. And then the other day, he like a few days after I went to Israel, he texts me like, "Hey, I need, can you help me with something?" And I'm like, "Man, I'm almost like you right now. I just, I just literally fled my country, and I'm, <laughs> am I, I'm in your. It's not that bad, okay? I have another country to be in, and I'm welcome here, but." I'm almost in your shoes. That I would not imagine that a year before I started kind of helping him, crazy, crazy. Yeah, so was
0: it when your family came, how far behind you were they and joining you in Israel? And then, you know, how did they get out? Did you just buy them plane tickets and they could get out or was it a, more complicated than that?
1: They were supposed to be here one week after myself. They ended up coming in one month. That was the earliest tickets that I was able to buy when they were in the news, when they said the the, the Russian airline is no longer flying outside of Russia, I was on my cell phone trying to buy them tickets and I would fill in five names and the system would tell me, no, these tickets are already sold out. And then I would take the, do it the whole thing for the next day. And after five minutes, it says, sorry, sold out. So I had to do it like 16 times, all five names and last names and the passport numbers. <laughs> To, to actually get to the points where there were, four, were five tickets and one plane, and then I had to rush to my friend because I didn't have enough money. Obviously, I I don't really have ten thousand dollars on the cards, and the cards were not working. So, my Is that Israeli because they were
0: Russian bank accounts or Russian yeah, cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Like- visa and Mastercard closed most of the activities in Russia in a few days. So they were not all closed by that time, but by March eleventh. That was the last day the Russian Visa and MasterCards worked outside of Russia. So they're all, they're all locked now, not possible to use. You can use them inside the country, and uh, you can use them, that's it, only in Russia. And Russia now has a funny, they have now their own card, a system called Mir, which in Russian means world or peace. And uh, there was a guy uh, on the street, Manifesting against the war, he was just holding this card with uh, that said peace, and he was arrested. Okay, so uh, he was just holding a stupid card, like a credit card, and he was arrested because it was saying peace. Peace is illegal right now. There, this is stupid. I can never understand that. Uh, I will never be able to. So um, yeah. So my family was able to get out. Uh, I knew that they would get out easily. The thing that I, the things that were, I was predicting happened later. I was uh, too much stressed out, but everything that I predicted happened later with my friends. Like a few months later, two months later, uh, you know, all this happened. Uh, it, it was crazy. My people would go to uh, airport and they would say, "No, no, 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 no. You have to be. You have to go to this uh, uh, military base." to check out first before you can fly. And if you go there, you're, they take you. So people would have to drive into Kazakhstan, into Belarus, and then somehow our employees had to ride bikes into Georgia. They, even, they even got on Euronews or somewhere. We saw them on the video riding <laughs> into Georgia because Sochi, where our shop was, is, was close to, is close to Georgia. That's that's not a state in the U.S., but the country. So uh, yeah. a really cool country, by the way. And um, there were huge amounts of people. And so there were cars and cyclists. And the uh, cars were all stuck in traffic jam for like a week. Uh, the local people would sell, on the Russian side, would sell them petrol for like gas for like, I don't know, $30 per liter. That's like more than oh $100 dollars per gallon. Yeah, and food for a lot of money. And my guys would worst, they spend their three sleepless nights trying to get there bike by bikes through the queue, through the line, because bikes are allowed through. And like anything that has wheels that you can drive or ride can go through the, uh, through the border. It's not a.
0: No pedestrian. Yeah, no. it's
1: not a pedestrian border. They opened it once for a few hours and it was a complete mess. So people were just you know, uh, dropping their cars and and buying bikes, $30 bikes for $500 and just cycle through and just leave them there outside on the other side of the border and just get a taxi and go, go to Belize. That was a normal situation back then.
0: I'm surprised that there was another, you know, I'm using the word easy here lightly, but like, I'm surprised it was that easy to just drive across the border if they were trying to keep people in the country.
1: You know, it's a huge country. It was 142 million people. There were so many border crossings. War. Many of them are closed now. And when uh, the president of Russia—I'm not even mentioning his last name because I don't like it—when he when he said it's the mobilization is on. You know, we first they said they were only using the professional army to deal with this local little conflict. And they were saying that to the mothers of the, of, the, of the young man. And then they say, no, 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 we need help from the Russian soldiers. So this is when they started closing the borders. They were checking every man's paperwork and uh, his military papers. And they stopped many people. And uh, some of the guys were actually inscripted at the border. Oh, man. Many of them, yeah, but they were totally, they inscripted, they, they, scripted, they uh, mobilized like, I think, one, I don't know, 300,000 men, and that's still not a huge number for a country of that has 70 million, okay, maybe 20 million young people, young men, or 15 million young men, but that's 300,000 people, that's a lot of people. So um, the closure of the border didn't happen immediately. That's a historical notice. If something happens in your country and things are going worse and worse, you still have some time. Just You just need to, you know, get things done uh, because it's not, especially if the country is large, things don't happen in one day. You just cannot lock out the huge country because if they locked it out, possibly people would finally start to protest and actually, you know, just run into the into other countries, but they will take out certain guy, like, that had the paperwork, the, the military papers that said that they have this army's professional truck driver for the army. Okay, you stay here. The other guy is just a normal nothing in the army, like, uh, he's, he's let through. Like, there were one, two brothers going through the border into Georgia. One, they let one go. And the other has to stay inside the country. Things like that. So then he would, you know, run away, go to Kazakhstan on, on on a bus, on his car, driving for five days on end to another part of the of Eurasia. Literally, it's it's. It, there were the stories were crazy. I think there will be some films about it. It's. I'm um, sure. And there are people hiding in the forests right now. That's wild. And they have different. Cell phones, their wives bringing them food to the, in the forest or they're in any the secret apartments. Uh, they get out, they, they, they order food delivery. Like, they don't get out and they hide and they're working out ways on getting out. It's not as bad right now because there are, as we call, waves of mobilization, which is it's on the lower side right now. But last September was really bad. This is when exactly Triton completely stopped. Because I cannot work without any people, like without employees. It's impossible with the, with the, without the people,
0: of course. Yeah. So let's talk about that because the business. So were you able to, even in your absence, not being there on hand in Russia to run Triton bikes, was it able to operate to some extent? Because you had suppliers cutting you off because nobody wanted to sell goods or materials into Russia.
1: What was going on with the business during all this? These were really stressful times. I felt super safe for myself, but I could see the business was dying because, of course, many projects that, were, that I was discussing with the customers, they just froze at some point. And the international orders stopped coming at all. The local orders was all, were almost done. And um, my personal belief is that I, that I ha- would have to, I had to stop. Search for a rel- relocation in early spring, not in uh, in winter, as we did in the end. Because I was still hoping that this conflict would last for three months and uh, we'll end up with uh, negotiations and, and peace treaty or a peace agreement, whatever. I was dumb to expect that, and uh, running a company that is not getting. Like we used to get many orders. We used to make many f- cool bikes. Yeah, you guys made gorgeous bikes. Thank you. They were really nice and they. I hope they will be. We used to have you know, when you have a certain uh, momentum of the orders, you, you you deliver orders, you take more orders, you buy uh, you buy components with the money of your customers, you pay the rent, you pay the seller, and it's working out. That's so cool. And it's been working out for years. We're kind of, uh, we were kind of famous for uh, long delivery dates for custom bikes, which is kind of standard for the custom bike community. But uh, we were putting so much effort and and in, in soul into our bikes, and I love doing this so much. This is my favorite thing. I'm, I literally so much love it. I, I'm, I'm ready to spend my whole life doing just this and be as professional in this as, as I can. And then it all starts just like falling apart. And as you say, as you mentioned, the suppliers stopped supplying. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> company, companies, uh, we are Triton was and still is kind of an Americanized brand. We used to go to, to the NAPS show. I'm wearing a NAPS t-shirt and you yep. can see.
0: And I've, you know, I've seen you exhibit
1: at Eurobike as well. Yeah, yeah, we were exhibiting at Eurobike. We were exhibiting at NAPS. We, we won a few titles at NAPS and, but it, it, it is stupid. It's, it's, it's not stupid. It's, it's, it's unusual. It may sound unusual, but, uh, being a Russian based company, it was a lot easier for us to deal with the U.S. suppliers. It was so much easy, so much easier compared to importing from Europe. Over Russia, like where Moscow and New York or, uh, I don't know, uh, Los Angeles and San Francisco are so far away, but it was a lot easier for us to import the best high-end components from the U.S. So we would work with Chris King, I don't know, can I name brands? Yeah. So we were working with, the, with Chris King, Envy, Industry 9, Thompson, you know, Onyx Racing, uh, white industries, like all these U.S. brands, some of them like 12 for 12 years. So uh, they all, like not all of them, but uh, many, some of them started sending us messages that they have to close our account, our account since we're based in Russia. And, um, and also I made a statement before that or about that time. And there was an interview uh, about our situation. And some of them saw it and say, hey, if you're, if you're an Israeli-based company now, we can work again if you're thinking of relocating business to Israel. And, and this is how I kept most of our OE, small OE contracts. That took me years to, to gain, to meet, you know, I know Alec White, I know Chris King and all these guys, we would drink beers at, at Eurobike or NABs or, or you know, Interbike. God bless it. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> and and uh i miss all of these shows i know everyone says an interbike but you know imagine I'm, I'm a guy from russia where people would maybe like making bikes there is like i don't know how would you compare in to some activity in the u.s everyone does everything in the u.s but it's a super unusual thing to do okay and when i went to eurobike or interbike or naps i was jumping into m- my world, how right. I see.
0: Yeah, it's our people, right? You yeah, feel it's, our, Everyone, it's our people. Everyone's passionate about the yeah, same thing. Yeah,
1: this is so cool, Dad. And we, I would take my uh, colleagues, my employees, to to these shows, and they would come, like you know, like they were <laughs> like on, they were like on fire. They're like, wow, wow, this is so crazy, this is so cool, and that felt a lot cooler than it feels to you because we came from Russia, which is totally not a not a bicycle state at all. So I knew all these people, and they were sorry to, to like not all of them, by the way. But they like people would say, "Hey, we know you. We drank beers together. If you work out the way to work from another location, we will be gladly working with you again." But we will not accept a single dollar from Russia, which I understand. I don't blame them. You know, there are sanctions, and they're like uh, like. There's no direct sanctions on selling things to Russia still if you can avoid yeah, the optics the, aren't good right yeah yeah you better not do certain things and I totally understand them so I was able to get back almost all the contracts but at some point I had orders in Russia or orders like complete bikes ordered that I was not able to finish because the contracts were canceled and that That affected us in a bad way. Of course, I I found out ways to still get them, thanks to my friends from the frame building community that, and I'm not going to share their names, but I was able to finish some projects before it all closed. And uh, of course, running a company, a production company from far isn't easy. And uh, my team was under huge stress because they were still there and I was still trying to I was kind of a middleman between my company and the, and the Western customers because I was in, in in Israel, which works with the rest of the world mostly. We all know it's not easy, also, but it kind of it's not as bad as Russia, of course. And, uh, but it couldn't last forever, and without orders, with a huge, super expensive rent uh, that was. And the price of it was just get, make it getting higher and higher. In the years, I just realized it's just consuming my and customers' money, and they, they has to stop somewhere. And I kind of thank that president for starting the mobilization because when my guys left, I knew okay, it's gone. We're we have to stop. There is no way. And I we still have to pay had to pay for a few more months of rent because we had machines there. It's not like an office that it's easy to move. It, they have 3.5 ton machines, huge Soviet Union times machines that have U.S. Anvil bike works things uh, bolted to them, like, you know, friendship, <laughs> yeah, that I believe to be.
0: Yeah, and they're expensive too. So it's not like you're walking out and leaving a copier in a fax yeah. machine, you said, who cares, right? But these like, yeah, you need these machines. You can't just pick them up anywhere
1: exactly and we were in sochi which is like uh which is like san diego or miami miami is the better way yeah uh, yeah we were making bikes the weather <laughs> in... yeah no, no no we were in sochi sochi was like miami actually we moved from moscow to sochi for better weather so we could ride bikes all year round and and also do some snowboarding skiing because it has mountains so it's like I don't know. There is not such a place in, in the U.S. sort maybe like Barcelona and yeah, Andorra. Miami
0: doesn't have mountains, or, yeah, or exactly. skiing and snowboarding.
1: So maybe like San Francisco-ish that has mountains, not a little bit too far yeah, that you, where yes. you can where you can do snowboarding. So there is not much production going on. So when I started trying to sell those things, I asked one of my employees to help me sell the machines. Of course, we had to sell them for. Sometimes a third of, the, of what their market price would be if we moved them to Moscow. But moving them to Moscow, which is the capital of Russia, would be so expensive and we had no time and the rent was just taking my my, my money and, and everything. Some of the things I just had to leave to the landlord as a payment, like a compressor, 500 liter huge pro, uh, industrial compressor. Paid for ten days of rent. Jeez, we had to buy a new one in Portugal for a lot, lot more money. So that's my uh, sad story uh, that I'm trying to turn into a good story now.
0: Yeah, let's talk about Portugal. So first of all, like why Portugal? I, I mean, Portugal is beautiful, tons of great riding. Like, how did you pick that?
1: It, it's a number of things. I was from day one, the war started. I knew I was going. I needed to move the production elsewhere and i was um, I was thinking solutions. There were a few countries I was considering. It took me months to analyze where actually we would have to go and as if I was analyzing it, the situation was changing because of the war because uh, for example the um uh, some of the Eastern European countries closed the borders with uh, Russia, so at some point it started to be impossible to move over there. Or, for example, like countries like uh, Poland or, or or Latvia had uh, startup visa programs that they stopped accepting, and that those we could take, we could you know start working out. They stopped those to the Russian citizens, so I had to cancel that. Then after months of analyzing, crying, analyzing again, trying to make money here in Israel to support my family, trying to pay the debts that I had in Russia and trying to finish the the, the projects or pay refunds for the non-completed projects. You know, all these things doesn't add to your ability to to think clear. Right, like, yeah. it's, a lot clear of money. it's a lot of stress. It's a lot of stress. I literally had uh, some... some health damage to myself that I'm taking care of now. So at some point, we realized that we definitely need to end up in EU, European Union, as the biggest, it's not a country, but a, a, a group of countries that has no customs, which I was so much fed up with being in Russia and dealing with the customs, because they were corrupt, they were hard to deal with, and they were... I was spending too much money figuring out how to work things out with them instead of actually working. So EU was the the choice and then I started I was analyzing a few countries in the EU, EU and they were closing, closing and closing abilities, possibilities for the Russians. And I'm not talking about myself as an Israel citizen. I had many choices, but my employees, the team, is what's the most important thing in the company. They make the company literally, and uh, there were less uh, fewer and fewer solutions for them to move over somewhere and be able to work. So the only country that had that possibility, and I and I and I learned about that like last September, it was Portugal. At the same time, I was talking to our fan, our friend George from Lisbon, from not far from Lisbon, and I told him, hey. There is some possibility for the Russian citizens to get legalized in Portugal. what do you think about it? And he said, "Hey, man, you should come. I'll help you with everything nice and he did, and he he's doing it, and there now there are a few couple more people who are helping us, and that's this is so crazy so uh so after analyzing it, so first of all, it's the only country in the EU that can welcome Russian citizens and let them after certain legal procedures, let them work in the country and stay in it legally. And these people do, do not have to be IT specialists. That works for Germany, France, Spain. There you can go also, but you have to be a, a coder, uh, an engineer. But not all of my guys are engineers. So they're just like someone is a, a lathe operator or mill meal operator or a designer. That would be impossible in other countries. So Portugal.
0: When you're a good company, right? You have, you know, the Sachs chains, which is owned by SRAM, is there. Yeah, Miranda, now we're which learning. is one of the largest crank manufacturers in the world, is based there.
1: We went yeah, it's it's then once I, re- I realized that that's the country I'm aiming for, and I knew before that it's the EU country that makes more bikes than any other EU country or disassembles or makes. And there are many more and more bicycle manufacturers there. And the rent there is, is pretty affordable. And uh, there, is, there are premises to rent. There is not like you can choose from. And um, there are high taxes. The taxes are pretty high. I have to, well, it's this, the reality. But it, it's in the EU, EU. So if I need to buy a cockpit from uh, FSA or, or, F, or DEDA, DEDA I just order it and it goes from Italy to Portugal with no, with no customs in like a couple of days. And then if I want a pinion transmission, that's also easy. And uh, and we already signed uh, agreements with uh, Shimano. We're working on SRAM right now with uh, with a representative in in the country. And uh, we we were able to register a company, set up a bank account. We were able. It was a lot of money and effort to bring the people in because there are no direct flights. They had to get visas, which are not easy at all. And we're, we had to hire a consultant, an advisor to help us with all the paperwork because we don't speak Portuguese. Plus, there are all these Portuguese friends who are helping. George, Pedro, there, there, there's Pedro who runs uh, Casa da Bicicleta. It's a house of the bicycle. In Aveiro, not far from us, and it's like a co-working station for cycling people where they can work at their computers, print something, and they have the tools there to work on and build a wheel. That is impossible if that like it wouldn't happen in Russia, unfortunately. maybe five years ago it would be possible not now anymore. That wouldn't be possible in in in, in Georgia that I like or in Serbia, where I was going, thinking of going to. And it was crazy. And then Pedro said, hey, I'm here. He's also a frame builder. He makes custom steel frames, and he is helping uh, local companies to design certain frames and bikes. He said, hey, I will help you around. And uh, he is helping us. He take he took us to Shimano. He took us to the local CNC guys. He took us to Abimota, which is the it's a Portuguese two-wheeled association it's an association that helps two-wheeled means of transport and uh, they have a testing laboratory that where you can test the frames and and, and the bikes and they're we're talking now on uh, setting up a booth at eurobike for triton as, as a part of the portuguese uh booth which is crazy which is this is so cool and uh, People are helping us, so it's 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 a few things. Getting it's easier to for for my team to get there, kind of easy compared to other solutions.
0: Yeah. Now, how about the equipment? Because you, I think there's a you have a pretty interesting story about getting some of the equipment across and out of Russia.
1: So there were two um, two ways. So I had to I had to sell. We had to. I wasn't even doing it. One of my employees, Ivan, was doing it. So. Um, I had to, we had to sell the heavy equipment that we had, like machines, like lathes and mills and a bead blasting chamber and the uh, alignment table, everything that is heavy. I was able to move uh, the rest of the part, things like fixtures, tube benders, welding equipment, uh, cutters, all the park tool, tools and other tools over, that's over one ton, like, 1,300 1, kilos of uh, tooling. So there were two ways of, of getting those into Portugal from Russia. There are those people from Eastern Europe, I will not mention the country, who helped other people get out of the, uh, even of, out of Russia also. And um, so they offered their help and we were able to load our fixtures and, and tube benders. Remotely, I wasn't, I wasn't there my friends and part, like my, my partner was helping my friends from Moscow and Sochi and St. Petersburg were helping. And they were literally like, there was a van that came and took like seven or 800 kilos of, uh, of equipment that was packed by my dad in the boxes and the cardboard boxes that it took him two weeks to pack all that in a way that it doesn't, you know, welcome too much attention. So he would disassemble every fixture and every tube bender, and he would put the lightest parts in those boxes that would go in these vans with the people that were kind of evacu- evacuating. And these guys take those boxes and put them into, like I think, six separate vans among the the cases, the the like and bags of the people, so that it would you know require less fewer questions at the border crossing and all of that get, got through. There was something that was taken from us, but it was something minor. Most of the, like 95% of the equipment that I wanted to get to Portugal, go to Portugal. That wasn't easy. That wasn't cheap. That we were super nervous when the, the vans were crossing the borders, but they made it. The other few hundred kilos, were loaded into my Land Rover and uh, like some heavy tube bending parts and some heavy welding equipment. And that was uh, loaded by my friends, thanks to them, into my Land Rover. And then I paid Canadian citizen to drive my Land Rover from Russia into Finland, where he would uh, we would meet. I flew from Tel Aviv to Helsinki, then took a train to Lapinranta, which is at the Russian near the Russian border between Finland and Russia. And uh, there he was, this Canadian guy speaking Russian, kind of you know Second World War stories, right? Uh, I was, I wasn't smuggling. That's my stuff, okay. I paid for it with my own money that I made. But I was. He he brought me my landy with the with the two benders that we made, that we, seen, that we designed and CNC machined in Russia. And there were my bikes and my wife's bike and my dad's bike and snowboards and <laughs> some of the things that I haven't seen in a year because I have never been to Russia since I left on the second on the third day of work. So when I sat in, in my Lendi and I felt the scent, the, I could feel the scent of my shop. And my garage in the car, like my stuff, like, oh, it smells like our machines, yeah, like my shop. (laughs) And I haven't, I was in Israel all the time. It's just flowers and, you know, birds here and the seaside. It's all beautiful and crazy, cool shawarma and food is everything is good. But I haven't, but I was missing my shop, Uh, the smell of the coolants, the oils, you know, everything that goes with the production. So when I said in my Land I was like, yeah, I'm home. And then my partner that I met earlier in Israel. Why Israel? Because I met my partner there too. You know, where else I would meet him? So he also was able to get in his car for the border. And we both, we went to the ferry, Andrew, and uh, took a ferry to Germany. And then we drove in two days to Portugal, That covering a little bit less than 1000 miles a day. And that is not easy in my old retro <laughs> Land Rover Defender. That wasn't easy at all. I That's had a lot my... of
0: miles regardless, no matter what you're driving.
1: Yeah, and and that it's it's totally non-comfortable car. And I had a big problem with my lower back before that. And I was just, uh, you know, on pills all the time that allowed me to drive, but it was it was not easy times. And we were rushing because we needed to see to see the uh, pe- uh, to people at the uh, uh, municipality in Portugal, where we were, where we were initially going to open up the uh, the Triton premises, you know, we were evacuating. Like they were in, okay, we were we were safe. We were in Europe. We have the we we have the Israeli passports, but it's not the best experience driving the car with the Russian flag on your license plates through the Europe, while the whole media in Europe is, of course, against the, against the country. And uh, I could, somebody would slip a bird, like, you know, middle finger uh, on our way. At some point I had my Israeli passport with me in my hand, getting ready to show that in my window that I'm not, no, I'm not bad, I'm, I'm bad, I'm Israeli, which is, some people hate that too. Um, and, um, in, 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 uh, in, Portugal, when we entered Portugal, we just replaced our license plates with, a, with the with a natural ones. We have our license plates don't show where we are from, which is a little, a little bit, uh, gray, you know, like don't you even... You know, that's for safety because uh, there were many cases reported and in, among my friends who were, on, who were uh, saying a lot of anti-war things on Facebook and some of them, they, they had to flee the country because they're now co- they would go to prison if they come back, okay? So they have to flee the country in their cars, with their dogs, with their poor wives and kids. And they drove out of Russia and they stop in Berlin or in Warsaw, Warsaw in Poland. And then on the next morning, and they have their Russian flags covered with white flag or with Ukrainian flag or whichever. And then they come uh, in the morning and they're, they're, the flags are turned off and uh, the cars crashed, the mirrors broken, some crazy ship you know, written on the car, like fucking fascists, you know, like fucking Nazi or things like that. But again, that's the smallest thing that can, that could be done. Uh, And I understand how bad the situation now is in Ukraine and also in the areas that Russia considers Russian, you know, to the just. People who live there, especially the older people, or the the women, the the kids, it's a total disaster. People lost so many things, so much. People lost lives. What I lost, basically my business, is is nothing. I'm lucky I'm here, safe, and I'm able to work again and to make bikes and and, and, uh, keep on working and making my dreams real. Some people lost everything. And uh, so it's, it, cannot, it cannot be compared. I'm just saying, I'm just telling my story, but I'm, I consider what happened and it still happens to other people. I'm trying to help in certain ways. I cannot say how, because it's illegal and it's, it's illegal to help Ukraine, if you're a Russian citizen. People who are there and help the Ukrainian army they got criminal cases against them. It's, it's a felony. And it's up to 20 years in prison, which is stupid and crazy. I will never understand that. And I just shut up about this for now because, you know, I, I never know how and when I see and where I end up next year. Uh, so I'd rather not say too much, but, but it's, a, it's a big problem. So we're trying to help how we can. But uh, it, it, it's stupid that being against the war, being against people getting killed is not criticized. Okay, criticize me. It's, it, it leads you to a term in prison. And I have people from the bicycle industry, like businessmen. I, I, I met a friend of mine who has a bike shop, one of the best bike shops in Moscow. Mm, they have everything. They, have, uh, they, they train people. Track track cycling, mountain bike, road racing. They have like Russian national champions uh, as coaches. They are selling specialized track bikes, everything. The guy was writing posts on Facebook that he hated the war, that uh, he was there for peace, that he's not supporting uh, Russia. He's not even a Russian citizen, but he lived there. And uh, one day, there's just police coming into his bike shop and looking for him, you know, taking computers. And he was just, uh, you know, training in in Turkey. He was cycling in Turkey. And uh, they come and there there is a, is it like called criminal case? Or I don't know. Like, basically, if he goes back to Russia, he's locked for a few years. So now he cannot see his family, he's uh, traveling elsewhere in the world. At least he can afford it, but he cannot control his business anymore. And his business is not, of course, living its best times. Specialized in track and all these guys are not supplying to Russia anymore. And there is no many people anymore who can afford those bikes. So it's, a, it's it's a, you know, and the, the, the number of people who left the country, I'm not saying people like me, who oh, I? But professionals, doctors, scientists, uh, art people, uh, programmers, I generally IT people. There was an estimated from from the, when the war started till now. I think it's around five million people who left the country, and that's not five million out of 142 millions. That's five million after of, of 15 million people, you know, who were actually working and 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 making. Uh, it added value to the country. so I mean, you it, end it, up
0: with the brain drain, right? Because this, the best and the brightest want to get out, and they're usually somehow able to, right? I mean, it happens anytime, something like this, and then you end up in just with your country in a worse state than it started off with, for sure. I
1: have no understanding why they did that. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they were expect. I heard that they were expecting the Ukrainians to say, hey, welcome to our country, and uh, yes, take over... This in this part of our country easy, you know. Um, now this didn't happen there. So they're they're fighting for their country and they're trying to uh, to protect it. And I I would do the same if I was there. And it's really scary what what is happening there. I'm I'm following it, and you get stressed out. My wife would just read the news and burst into tears. She's been doing this for many months since it started. But we just you know. They have to live your life, and you know, take care of yourself. But she still does this sometimes, and myself too. I I cry sometimes when I hear what's happening. It's I'm, it's impossible for me to comprehend such things. And uh, and as a brain drain, you know, uh, as I told you, I have a I have a semi commercial van here. I had to sell my team van in in Russia, and I paid some of the debts. And then with the money I had, I paid. I, I bought a. Chevy van and I started little moving business. I worked a lot with the people who who escaped Russia or Ukraine or Belarus because that all these countries are involved. And uh, every now and then, I w- I would help move a a scientist, uh, a professor who are now working in the in the Israeli university. So like Technion, uh, University of Haifa, University of Ben Gurion and Beersheba, I was I was taking a, a guy with all his furniture and bicycles and everything, and I, I asked him why why you're moving to that town because that town is like I'm, I'm in the hills and it's all green here and it's nice and, and it, there's a seaside, and he was moving to the south where there's it's kind of a desert. Desert. <laughs> yeah, and he said I was offered a postdoctorate, uh, and he was he's basically a professor now at an Israeli university. In no time, they accepted these papers. They confirmed his, how professional the guy is. And he, in no time, he has a job. And this happens to the Russian professionals in Germany. Some are going to the UK. Some are going to, to, to Portugal, Spain, you name it. And the US, a lot are going to the US. They're kind of showing that the borders are closed. But if you apply properly and you show their paper, show that you have paperwork, you're in. U.S. is gaining from that. And Europe is gaining from that. The only country that is losing here is, unfortunately, the country where I was running my business in Russia. This is really sad. And these are also my customers, all these guys. They were making good money, they were paying the taxes, their family was spending money. It's crazy, they're all gone now. My customers are outside of Russia, many of them, very many of them.
0: Thank you for sharing all of that. So real quick, last few minutes, what's the future of Frightened Bikes?
1: So we are now in Portugal, we have moved the whole team. We are are now starting, we bought the machine. So apart from the equipment that we were able to move into Portugal, Uh, with the help of the partner that I have now, we're now co-owning the car company. We were able to purchase uh, all the machines that we needed. We have started like pre-production. So we are preparing the, 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 we prepared the tools, the tubing. We bought tubing for the next batches of frames. We, uh, so we are starting them literally like in a couple of days. Uh, so we're, we have, we started taking orders. The trident frames, since they're now made in Europe, they're more expensive because the, all the taxation and the, um, how do you say the, the workmanship? It's more expensive, but we are able now to build some EU specific, like more EU spec, spec out bikes. And uh, our main aim now is gravel bikes that we're, we have a, our most popular model called Triton Grunt, Grunt in Russian, is like dirt, like dirt, okay, that you ride on a gravel bike. We are restarting that. And also right now I'm designing uh, a road bike, an old roadie bike with totally uh, internal uh, routing, thanks to the FSA and Deda uh, cockpits that allow you to hide all the cables and wires inside, inside the frame and the, in the stem and the handlebars. So I'm, I'm working on that. And also we are open to the custom orders for mountain bikes, fed bikes, anything. We are really looking for orders because we want to, after almost one year of being absent, we really want to work and do the things that we love so much.
0: One of the things that was you showed me when we were sitting there is I think you had on one of your, your original Triton t-shirts with, you know, a big Russian bear, just a lot of great, powerful imagery that, I mean, it's a fantastic logo and and design, but yeah, it's, I don't think you can really get away with, or use that, right? And then the, the name, the model names, are you going to have to go away from using Russian words for model names?
1: Yeah, we, we, we're keeping that, we're smoothly transitioning into the new naming later, you know, we are working on the uh, legal part of that uh, in the, in the EU. It's not it's not a fast process. Of course, we still have a star as a logo, but our well, US has a stars in its flag. You know, US
0: like yeah, stars are popular. Yeah, stars are
1: okay, like Californian. Flag. You know, and there's beer, beer there also. True. But, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> But our star is now peaceful. It used to have really sharp edges. Now it's like, you know, it's a little bit fatter like myself. A little, and softer. A little bit softer, <laughs> yeah, more easygoing. So we're trying to show that we're totally non aggressive. And also the bear that we had, it used to have a heart and it was pretty, it, it was kind of, if you look at it first, it kind of, was kind of aggressive. But it, if you look at it more closely, you see he was really peaceful. But, you know, we were just playing with the stereotypes back then. It was fun. You know, Russia, doing things in Russia, so there are stars, bears. I would never, ever realize that, you know, bear would be alive and eating people and get out of the T-shirts and actually become real uh, menace to the humankind, you know. it's So no more bears, unfortunately. I love bears, but no. So now we're thinking there. There are local Portuguese things like uh, it's called Nova Costa or Costa Nova. Costa. It's a local. Uh, it's a, it's 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 a local like not a village, village little town near where our production in, is, and it's got nice, uh, sh- nice little at the seashore at the ocean shore. There are little houses with a nice colorful stripes that we're considering as one of the uh, good. Uh, decisions for our next uh, designs, and there are some other local Portuguese things that we're still learning from our Portuguese friends. yeah it's 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 not easy. How you know, if somebody told me two years ago we would be at Eurobike under Portugal, why Portugal? I mean, I love the country you know? Why Portugal? life has changed a lot and we'll try to adapt to, to this to the new reality. And I hope we can be useful to the local Portuguese and Aveiro and Porto so, so, uh, bicycles uh, community, of course. And we already agreed, there is a race, there is kind of a gravel fun race in, in, in that will go past our shop in May, and uh, that will stop over at our shop. You know, we'll serve water and everything. So we're kind of to, trying to connect to the local community And I hope we can be useful and I hope we can make more bikes. My aim is to build more bikes around, you know, supply them around the world, make people happy because I'm I'm happy when I'm riding my bike, whichever happens in the world. And uh, I hope even, you know, I hope for to be able to do my favorite thing that I love a lot and be able to design more and more nice bikes and keep the quality and the soul and the peaceful soul that I believe I have and our our team has. So let's hope it works out. We're working super hard. hard. In in just two and a half months, we have from zero to a shop, company, machines, everything is plugged in, everything is almost working, and we're starting like in a couple of days, and I'm super excited about it. That's a dream after a total disaster. The dream come true after total loss. I hope it works out.
0: Yeah, well, I do too. Best of luck to you and thank Thank you so much for sharing that story. That was amazing.
1: Thank you very much, Tyler. Thank you. See you. Bye-bye.
0: Hey, thanks for sticking around. I have a couple of takeaways I'd like to share if you'll humor me. After I stopped recording, Dimitri and I talked for almost 40 minutes more. He shared how some of his employees and coworkers were just a couple of years ago complaining about pay But now, with jobs and opportunities much more scarce, they're very grateful for just how good they had it. Having fun, traveling around, riding bikes, and a pretty good job. It made me think of how grateful I am for the opportunities that present themselves. Would I like to make more money? (laughs) Hell yeah. But I also get to travel the world, ride bikes, hang out with amazingly fun people, and have built a truly global network of friends. Not just acquaintances, but real, true friends. Long dinners and late nights over beers with these people from all over the world have really made me appreciate that no matter how much I make, how much you make, how much any of us makes, where we live, or what we're doing, the grass can always look greener elsewhere. But in most cases, we're all pretty fortunate if we take the time to appreciate what we have and realize that everyone has their struggles and challenges. Few of us will, hopefully, ever have to go through what Dimitri and his family and friends have but it's not impossible. The thing that stood out to me most from this conversation is that none of this happened overnight. It started, as it does in most places, decades, or in some countries, even centuries ago. People were complacent. They ignored the signs and went about their business, letting small freedoms and rights slip away, almost unnoticed, until all of a sudden, they just weren't there until, you know, all of a sudden you had a person or a group in control that used those limitations to stay in power and prevent opposition. As he stated, it's too late for Russia, at least under the current leadership. Right now, there are new bills, laws, and people being introduced and elected in numerous countries that limit freedoms and choice and the power of the people. As a U.S. citizen, there are two things that have me particularly concerned as I record this. First are the efforts to ban from public education certain books and topics of discussion that present different viewpoints of American history and how race played, and still does play, a role in the opportunities for everything from education to representation. Yeah, our history is ugly, but we can't learn from it and do better if we don't acknowledge it, discuss it, and own it. The second one is our actual freedom of speech in the press particularly the freedom to investigate and criticize those people elected by us to represent us. Florida has floated bills forcing some media to register and provide notice of any article mentioning any elected official or else face fines. They're also trying to make it so that any quotes from anonymous sources could be deemed defamation and dramatically reducing the barrier to sue a news organization or reporter by someone who feels challenged by their content. This would have a chilling effect on the free press, at a minimum, threatening undue financial burden on them, but at worst, turning almost any criticism of anyone into a potentially criminal act. The roots of all of these efforts to limit freedom and limit what we can read and learn and discuss are all about maintaining control and power by silencing dissenting opinions and criticism. This is how it starts, unless we act and vote against it. It's just food for thought. As a journalist, blogger, and podcaster, these two hit pretty close to home for me, but they have ramifications for all of us, and they are fundamentally against one of our most important rights as American citizens, the right to free speech. As always, thanks for listening. If you like this and you want more, maybe not so much more of my uh, personal rants there, but uh, just good bike stuff, be sure to subscribe and leave a rating and review, or, you know, do nothing. We all know where that leads. Till next time, have a great ride.